Hello, Fear of God podcast, and congratulations on your 100th episode. Uh, you guys are actually the first podcast that I actually subscribed to. And you know, not being much of a thriller, horror fan, I'm an old school Universal Monsters guy. So I, I got to confess that I first started listening to you guys uh, just to listen to the early parts of the the podcast, the camaraderie and the banter that you guys do. It's so entertaining. But, you know, as I began stretching my listening, what you watching, what you reading, what you listening to, <laughs> I found myself uh, getting uh, curious about some of the movies that you describe each week. Just ask my wife, who lovingly recently sat through all the Jaws movies with me after listening to you guys talk about it. And, you know, I also appreciate how you guys give kudos to other podcasts. That 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 is great. And, in fact, I've recently subscribed to a few podcasts based on your recommendations. Well, anyway, that's about it for now. Um, just wanted to let you know what a great show you have. And, and uh, by the way... Um, I fully believe that the Monster Mash votes, your voting system has been hacked. That's right. Um, there is no way, no way that Dracula should not have won. Hey, Universal Monsters again, right? Anyway, congratulations and keep them coming. See ya. Hello, Reed and Nathan. This is Aaron. And Patrick. From the Feelin' Film Podcast. Hey, it's John Minos from Two Geek Soup. This is Andy from The Body and the Blood. Hey, Fear of God listeners, it's J.R. Foresteros from the Don't Split Up Podcast and Storyman Podcast. Hi, everybody. My name is Kevin Glenn, and I'm the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Hey, guys. This is Blake Collier, the one and only, the runner, the guy who's afraid of open spaces. You know, that guy. Hey, Reed. Hey, Nathan. It's Eric Skorzynski, host of the former podcast, Rest in Peace, uh, Cut Reactions. Well, well, well. Look what the guys over at Fear of God have done. 100 episodes. Huge congratulations to Reed and Nathan for making it to 100 episodes. I just want to wish y'all a happy 100th episode of the Fear of God. I don't know where I would be if I didn't have the fear of God in me. I really appreciate you guys for watching all the scary movies so that I don't have to. That's right, guys. We know just how much hard work and dedication goes into staying consistent for two full years, and it's something you should be very proud of. Congrats. I know how hard it is to get to 100 to do the consistently great work you guys do, so thanks so much for making us think again about all of the great horror movies that we love. It's no small task. There's hours that people are not seeing of editing and prep and contacting and producing that go into every episode. We also want to say thank you for providing us, your listeners, with awesome content and a unique perspective around horror that we are so grateful exists. Um, I know there's a lot of discussions that are being had because of your show. I know there's a lot of internal dialogue that I'm having with myself due to things that you guys talk about. Guys, thank you so much for providing a place for people like me to be able to process horror films, to be able to celebrate the horror genre, and to be able to engage with those films and the messages of those films, not only on an artistic level, but on a level of, of spirituality and faith. Congratulations, guys. Thank you so much for looking at the things that scare us and looking at how those things 
make us reflect on something much bigger. I'm a huge fan of the Fear of God podcast and love hearing the perspective you guys bring each week. I can honestly say every film you cover, whether it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre or The Purge or any film that you guys cover, you always make me think about it in a new light. I know at the end of the day, really all y'all want to do with this is basically show the body, the blood up, and you just want to gloat, and I get that. Thanks a lot. (laughs) But seriously, even though horror isn't really my jam, I love listening to you guys, and you have been a source of genuine encouragement to me in my walk with Christ. So often, I have used the insights uh, that I've gained from you guys in conversations with people uh, about faith, about life, about so many other things. I think your show's proved time and time again that the best way to communicate political and religious ideas is often uh, in the horror genre. So keep on plugging away and having great conversations, and we'll be waiting to celebrate the next milestone with you two. Uh, the scary thing I can imagine is a world without fear of God in it, so thanks for keeping that from being a reality. Congratulations on 100 episodes. I'm so happy for you guys, and here's to 100 or 200 more. Guys, we're so proud of you, and we hope that you keep going, and I'll be listening. Congrats, and uh, I hope for at least 100 more, if not 200 more, or 300 more. Keep up the good work, keep doing what you're doing, and thanks so much for all that you provide. For the entire Real World Theology crew, we couldn't be prouder to have such a good relationship with you guys. I'm uh, I'm really thankful for you guys, really thankful for your show, and I just can't thank you guys enough for being a part of my uh, morning commutes. Um, I love listening, and I wish you guys many, many more episodes. Happy 100. What's up, everybody? Episode 100! It's here! I just woke up my neighborhood! What? Hey everybody, this is Nathan, one of your normal hosts! It's so exciting! We're finally here! Episode 100! Oh my god! I feel like Kermit when he's just flailing his arms and other things. Or like Animal on the drums. So, as you know by now, typically with me is Reed Lackey, fellow co-host just extraordinaire fear of god mastermind uh it was, it was he was here for a second it's a little forward he did say he had to um he had to go take a shower so you know i mean like, whatever you know i mean everybody needs to bathe every now and then perhaps him more than normal i don't know while he is doing that um i did want to encourage you so it is episode 100 so you are in for a treat landmark episode milestone episode hopefully not the final episode but who knows you know it's a crazy world out there uh uh, if you have never done so we would be most appreciative if uh while it's just me and you guys listening um if you've not done so go over to itunes um leave us a rating some of you have done that lately and we really appreciate it we do notice those little upticks in that number um leave us a rating uh leave us a an eruditely worded review only the most lovely worded poetic reviews espousing the wonder of the fear of god will do um if you can't quite get there a rating is fine too regardless also subscribe because you know this is just how the internet works you know what? You know what, y'all? It is. I know it's a little weird to do this, but I say we go, we go sneak up on Reed. 
You know, I know he's in the shower, but I'm sure it won't be weird or awkward at all. Um, also not awkward at all or weird. Go get your mother's. Okay. Go get your mother's right now. And we're going to go sneak up on Reed while he's in the shower. Okay. Just everybody just be really quiet because it's episode hundred and we want to make sure he doesn't forget that we're all here. Okay. Everybody got your moms or some doppelganger variation thereof, perhaps a cadaverous version of them. Uh, and we're going to go sneak up on Reed and shh, shh, you hear the water. So there it is. There it is. There's the water, the sound of the running water. And we'll just, we'll just stealthily sneak up on Reed to announce to him that it's the hundredth episode. I am reaching up and grabbing the shower curtain and slinging it open and read, 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 read. I didn't know how much longer I could hold that scream. Did you hear it? I was saying read. I was saying your I name. I did. I, I never. Yeah, I that never... was the bit. That was the gag. Wow. That was the joke. That was... Welcome to episode 100. That was good job. Welcome, Nathan. I just said your name to the sound of one of the most infamous music cues, oh. sound cues in cinema history. It's true. I said your name to it's it. True. Don't you feel just like. I feel honored. Amazing. I feel honored. You should feel My... honored. My. My name is the equivalent of shrill violins. I, I've, I've never been so proud. A, accompanied by startling violins. You know? <laughs> violins so, and violence. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. That was very good. I like that. I've never Thank put that you. together before. And that's really good. Are you being serious? Wow, that's impressive. Violins and violence. Yeah, good. To, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Reed! Hey, buddy. We're here. We made it. Uh, it's been a long, long road to Tipperary. This is really, really good. I am, I'm feeling great. I, I mean, we have, we've settled in now. I feel like... Once we've reached the triple digits of episodes, now uh, you know we can. Now just sort we of, can just fart around. Yeah, we can know? just let our hair down. We can do whatever. People are here. Yeah, whatever people thought the show was going to be beforehand. Now it's just going to be some totally other right. thing. And uh, yeah, because because why not? Because now we've reached. I appreciate. And, I appreciate. I just clicked with me that you're wearing your Bates Motel shirt. I appreciate the. Um, yeah. That's you right. know, synchronicity of your attire. I had to represent. And, I had to represent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I that's, also that's invited awesome. my mother all the way from North Carolina. She's in the other room. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And you're just kind of ignoring her while we. I am. This, no, I, I just needed her me. here. No, it was just for solidarity. Right. No, she's flying back right. tonight. Red eye. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 Well, you could just put her in the, in the fruit cellar. I don't have a fruit cellar, though. I'll be well, right back. I, I know. I was just. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> lots, lots of shovel. <laughs> Three hours. <laughs> Three hours later. One hundred has nothing to do with the TV with the movie cycle. It's just us being idiots, you know? <laughs> Which what else is new? I was about to say, how different is that from any other episode? Oh, hey, this goodness. is super random, but I don't know if you saw, you know, this is gonna be it's y'all, it's a celebratory episode. Like, I hope you've got a really long mall walk planned, Blake. Um <laughs> You know, <laughs> we're, we're, we are camping out y'all. Okay. We're, we're, we're hanging out at the Bates motel cause there's 12 rooms and 12 vacancies and Hey, we're just going to fill them up and have a good time. Um, I did want to shout out real quick. There's going to be a lot of shout outs between this week, episode hundred and next week, the after party. Um, but I don't know if you saw this read just about 30 minutes ago, our Canadian friend Vera Gowdy, she's in Canada, right? I know Brett yes. Brent is. Yeah. Uh, just posted they're pregnant. Did you see that? I did. Congratulations, a little, a little Vera. ultrasound. Yay. Yeah. Congratulations more, to little, Vera and more... Rob. That's, yeah, that's really, really great. 
more little horror fans running around. Um, oh, it's going to be so awesome. Looks like they're having a little yes. predator from what I saw. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's an I feel like there's an Arnold's, you know, uh, reference waiting to be made right there. Congratulations. Congratulations. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, so man. it is episode 100. Today we are discussing we're, we're back in it, Reed. We are back in yeah, the Hitchcock block of episodes. Um, last week, we kind of we did a little bit of a, a Hitchcock tease, letting everyone know what we were going to be doing uh, this week. Um, but we are we're here. It's episode 100. <laughs> it is. It is it, what? What? There's no, nothing. I just love it. You just breezed right by it. The hashtag Hitchcock yeah. tease. That oh, like, read. No, that's great. really dirty. I can't believe you just said that. Wow. Wow, you chuck me under the bus. So, you throw me in the shower. No, like, I, I, I see. You just use and abuse me left, right, up, down. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what they come to listen to the show for. Um, wow. So we're back, we're back in it. We're back in the Hitchcock block of episodes. Alfred from Melmac, you know, Hitch, uh, Alfred letters, whatever you want to call it. We'll just call it everything and nothing at all, except fun <laughs> and frivolity. And we are talking today about Psycho. Um, not American Psycho, no. not Final Destination. Sorry, Stephen, but Psycho, <laughs> regular um, Psycho. Yeah, regular, regular old Psycho. But do we want to do we want to mash the monsters now, or do we do that at the end? Why don't we Why don't we mash the monsters after we've wound up a little bit? Let's. So, so <laughs> if, wound up. I'm, 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 I'm pretty wound up. I don't know. I don't I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna crash pretty hard actually in just about ten minutes. No, no, no. So. I got a I got a question for you. Yeah, yeah. I have tell a me. Question for you. What is it? Ask me. And this one. Uh huh. This one's for you, Ned. Oh. Okay. Get it, Ned. What you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? What you watching? What you reading? Nathan, tell me too. <laughs> that was that good was old, straight up for Ned. Good old, good old Uncle Ned. You got <laughs> You got you got to contextualize Ned. No, if you listen to the very beginning of the episode, it's already contextualized for you. No, no. I know, Ned, but I don't think Ned, he says who he is. I listen to it. He doesn't say who he is, but it's, oh, like, you don't want to know. You don't want to. I mean, you already called him out. Well, fine. He's my he's my <laughs> beloved father in law, and and we have we have a ton of fun together. And I, you know, Ned is always good people in my book because uh, you know it's it's the season of looking back on fear of God. Come Stranger Things season two, Ned was squarely on Team Nathan. You're never gonna let it go. I'm not. I'm not gonna let it go. That's why he's he's my favorite of your fathers in law. Yeah, it made last Thanksgiving awkward. Probably gonna do wonders for this Thanksgiving. It's fine. <laughs> well, as long as Stranger Things three doesn't suck, you know, it'll be a fine Thanksgiving. <laughs> Everybody, get ready, listeners, because Stranger Things three is gonna be <laughs> gonna be six hours long. I'll let you. I'll let tell you what. I won't watch it. I'll let you report back because I'm sure it's gonna be fantastic in your eyes. You're not um, even going. You know what'd be great is if we did I'm an kidding. episode about it and you didn't even watch it. You were just. You I just, just watched season on. one. I'll be like, dang y'all, that was pretty good. That was fantastic. It reminded, it reminded me of Jaws, like a rogue bear. Oh my gosh. Oh, all the call outs. This is great. All the call outs are happening. So, okay, you asked me what I am watching, what I am yeah. reading, what I am what, listening what, to. Whatcha? Whatcha? Well, I got a couple here. And because it's Let Our Hair Down Day, even though I just cut mine yesterday with a haircut and I have mm-hmm. no beard right now, um, which is a little, I feel, I feel a little, you know, slimmer and or neuter with no beard right now um, i didn't recognize you at first i know i know you didn't <clears throat> you didn't know who your where your co-host had gone um <laughs> so one i i'll get the serious one out of the way so i did go hmm. see spike lee's black klansman 
I've not seen that and know very little about it. Well, it's uh, as the very beginning of the movie suggested is based on a real story about uh, a a guy named Ron Stallworth, who was African-American in the late 70s, mid 70s, somewhere in there, was a a detective and posed as a, a Caucasian man on the phone and kind of infiltrated the Klan in the movie. Adam Driver is plays a his sort of white guy counterpart who goes in undercover anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a pretty interesting story as far as that goes. It is very intentionally released and uh, resonant with the fact that it was a year after Charlottesville. Okay. And so, so objectively speaking, it's Spike Lee and I don't know how much of his stuff you've seen, but you know, he can be pretty heavy handed and that's okay. I'm not actually totally dissing that. Um, I do think in this particular instance, there's a lot to like about the movie. Um, I don't know that it will age super well as a piece of art. It will age rather decently as a piece of sort of dissident, you know, media mm-hmm. because, uh, in his heavy handed nature, he does make some extremely on the nose commentary kind of after the movie. Anyway, um, and in a way that you're like, I was with you and I totally got the only 1% remaining subtlety that was there. And now you even took away that 1%. Ah, Um, okay. That said, I mean, for me personally, subjectively speaking in this season of life, when I want to be very empathetic, sympathetic, open to appreciative of sort of, uh, minority voices or diverse voices, uh, people of color, I'm very open to this. I, I was one of maybe half a dozen white people in a sold out crowd and wanted at the end of it to turn to my neighbors sitting next to me and say, I'm sorry, I love you. Like it's that it's, I yeah. just, yeah. I don't know, man, it's just such a, a, a wild time right now. And so I yeah. went to sort of see it in, in that sort of uh, self-flagellating way of like, I, I want to keep myself aware of the conversation. I want to keep myself present in the conversation. Um, sure. Again, as a piece of art, I don't know that it will have as much long-term resonance as perhaps it should if he pulled the punch just a little bit. Um, that said, so I did go see that. I, I, I would recommend it. Um, like, I didn't really spoil anything per se. One other one that will sort of bleed into possibly some feedback from you. I have. We are recording on a Thursday. I have not seen the most recent one that I think aired last night, but I am, other than that, five into Castle Rock. And I thought if you wanted to, we could give a little update. On yeah, on Castle Rock. The Castle Rock. Um, yeah. la- when last we spoke, I think it was on American Psycho. Was American Psycho I believe when we did? that might sound. Or was it Final Destination? Right. No, it was American Psycho. I think. Maybe. Oh, I can't well, when last we brought it up on the show, we were th- both three in. You were a little more a fan than I was, though mm-hmm. I did respect it. I will say, so I've seen five now. Episode four took what was very kind of um, mild ambivalence and really swung the dial up a good bit. I really enjoyed yeah. episode four. The narrative starts to pick up some steam. I liked it. Um, five did kind of... Well, there's the, the last sort of 20, 30 minutes of episode four really are super strong. Um, for me personally, episode five did kind of plateau a little bit again. I have not seen six. That said, gotcha. I do f- I do feel much more invested than I did the last time 
you sure. and I talked on the show about it. So yeah, I mean, I would echo the uptick. I've I've really been impressed with how they've. Uh, Have you seen I, six? Or are you? Still I haven't seen six yet. No, um, I'm just up to five. It, uh, but now I was mo- I was more affectionate for five. I was definitely also affectionate for four, but I was more affectionate for five than it sounds like you were. I really liked five a lot. I feel like they're now at a place where they're pushing the conversation forward. There's a real conversation to be had about whether like whether and I think we even brought it up, whether the Easter eggs to the larger Stephen King universe help or hurt the narrative. Um, and I feel like it's all just in how you approach it. Cause to me, they, they don't. And I will say this, this is a bit of a bold statement. I will say that to constant readers, those, uh, if you don't know what I'm referring to there, that's what King calls his sort of Uber fans. Um, to the constant readers, I don't think the tons of Easter eggs should come as much of a surprise. I referenced this the last time we talked about it, where it's like his, his work is constantly self-referential and there's tons of material wherein he, I mean, even in, I believe even in Mr. Mercedes, he is referencing Stephen King material <laughs> like in that like since right, that world is right. kind of apart from everything else he's referencing Stephen King as a writer and his work as stuff so it's there's all this sort of snake eating its tail stuff happening so I don't find that in Castle Rock to be a detraction from the story I, I feel like that's just the tone and nature of most of Stephen King's work I'm really enjoying it I'm I'm excited that I already feel like I've gotten a huge chunk of story but we still have the whole last half of the season to go so sure. yeah I'm no I'm I'm really digging it I'm enjoying it quite a bit I love the characters I love the performances the story is starting to congeal a bit more and so I'm excited to see where they go with it really yeah I'm really interested and I'm very invested what else what else you got so speaking of which, Nathan, this is episode Read. this is episode 100. It's 100. So I've got a what you're watching. I've yeah. got a what you're reading. I yeah. got a what you're listening to. So yeah. um, so instead of that order though to dovetail right out of Castle Rock, I'll go into my what you're reading. So this will be relevant to listeners in about a month, uh, give or take, uh, maybe a month to six weeks or so. But uh, I am reading, and I'm about two thirds of the way through for my. I believe my, yeah, it's my second time through the book. Uh, I'm making my way through the stand, uh, two thirds right. of the way through. And uh, it is, uh, it is really a phenomenal book. I'm just, and the reason that's going to be relevant to listeners is that in maybe five or six weeks, little, little tease on the fear of God, in maybe five or six weeks, our quarterly, because you know, we do, we've done three quarterly kings. Here we are at episode 100, so you know that Quarterly King 4 is like right on the horizon. And Quarterly King 3 was a big hit. That was a big hit, yeah. That was a big we hit. Were, we were pretty it gets a lot of reference. That. It does get a lot of reference. Um, so, <laughs> so, um, but, uh, so, but for Quarterly King 4, we'll go ahead and let you know right now, listeners, and we'll let you know for a very specific reason. So Quarterly King 4 is going to be on the stand. Uh, we're going to put it on the stand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it's no, a but print quarterly, version, print uh, version. <laughs> but but quarterly King Four will be covering uh, Stephen King's The Stand, which is why I'm reading it and loving it. Uh, the reason we're letting you know that now is because if you want to revisit the book, it's going to take you some time because it's 1,200 pages. Um, if you want to revisit the miniseries and don't already own it, uh, then it's going to be a little bit difficult to find because it's not available digitally, uh, at least uh, uh, 
authentically available digitally. Um, so yeah, but if you want to reacquaint yourself with the stand, you've got probably a month to six weeks to do so. Uh, so that's my what you're reading. I'm really digging Stephen King right now. I'm loving diving back into the stand. Uh, I'll save all my specific thoughts for that when we actually record about it. Um, my what am I watching? So I'm surprised we haven't talked about this. Uh-oh. Um, I just finished, I guess it's the first half of season four of The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, have you have you I'm seen not, you're farther than i am now it's kind of like black mirror i just i uh, recommend things to you and you're just like off i, mean, I go care yeah you just don't care um so i mean kimmy schmidt is adorable the show is fantastic i have one huge major praise for it um the one thing that i will say is that at six well this hour, is a show talking about face a major praise like drop bring it to us reed okay all right this is, um, this is I'm a new segment the of the show major praise <laughs> but um <laughs> So, uh, season six, when we've been used to seasons of like 10 to 13 episodes, and then season four, I said season six a second ago, it's season four, but only the first half of season four. So, it's only six episodes. And at half hour each, six episodes is over like in a blink. Like, we basically watched it in two nights. Um, and so, it was, it, it felt very abbreviated. The content is still really strong. The show is still incredibly funny. Um, it's a really strong half season but uh but yeah it does feel a bit abbreviated they make a pretty bold choice with episode three have you heard about episode three of season four okay all i'm gonna say is it is it literally is from another show and that's all i'm gonna say about it and it's pretty brilliant i loved it I, i thought it was fantastic it has the potential to be but i don't think based on user responses that it is the same as like an episode seven of stranger things season two where they just completely go into a whole other place with right completely different people it had the potential to be that well, that was but- a really bold choice i mean that was really laudable <laughs> not to most people <laughs> i loved it but i wouldn't say i loved it but i liked it quite yeah much. i was gonna say um but uh yeah so kimmy schmidt season four does the same thing with their third episode but i really liked it and i'm excited to see where they go now it has been officially announced that this will be the final season they don't know if they're going to just let it end at the second half of season four or if they're also going to do a follow-up film like a feature-length film um, but Kimmy Schmidt is on the way out and it is wonderful and it, it, you should go and you should catch up with it, Nathan. It is really, really delightful. Oh, my major praise for it. Praise! So um, <laughs> my, my major praise for it is that they directly tackle the hashtag MeToo movement in a way that only Kimmy Schmidt can. Like, directly. Every single episode touches on it, is, is kind of about it, and it is, it's, it's wonderful. I think they do so in a really Damn it. <laughs> they do so in a really wonderful and clever way that I was very pleased with and proud of. So yeah, you should you should go check out season four of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And if you have not yet seen the show as a whole, you should just go check out the whole show. Second, what you watching? Of how many? No, that was that's the that was the second. Yeah. No, right. no, no. No. Oh my I've got to watch. I've got to watch your what? I've got to what? It's the episode 100. It is. Got, it is. I've got what you're reading. I've got what you're watching, and I've got what you're listening to. This is my second what you're watching because we are right in the heart of living in the heart Texas. of Santa Clarita. No, not in the heart of Texas. We're living in the heart of Santa Clarita, and right now, my wife and I are in the heart of season two of Santa Clarita Diet, and which you were pretty ambivalent about how season one went. Absolutely, because the first half of season one was amazing, and the second half, like, sort of 
uh, tottered off. Uh, I didn't really love the, the way it landed as much uh, back in season two, and I am loving it once again. I'm hoping the second half of because I re- we literally just are in the middle of episode six. I'm really hoping that the season that this season ends more strongly than last season ended for me. Um, but it's it's a fun show. It's a really fun, funny show. You have to tolerate a ton of vulgarity, a lot of profanity. There's an F word dropped, I think once a minute, like it is, there is a ton of vulgarity in it. But if you, if you, if you're somewhat palatable to that, and if you're palatable to very morbid, dark humor about an, uh, an undead wife and her loving husband, uh, you know, trying to keep their lives normal while she has an irresistible urge to eat people. It is a wonderful show. (laughs) It's really, really (laughs) funny. Um, Okay. I'm I'm winding the plane down. This is my what you're listening to. Okay, well, I so, got one more. I got one more, and then we'll. Okay, go ahead, and then I'll pivot more. back right, to my, so yeah. my very last one. Since I didn't know we we're rolling out all of them, so I do have one more. I did finish. It's not going to be nearly as exciting as how excited you are as for all yours, but I did finish season one of Cloak and Dagger. Uh, mm. check, checking in again. Um, I love pretty much everything the show does with the two lead characters because in an and it is kind of fun. They actually. It's a 10-episode season. Uh, the way they arc it and structure it, Netflix could learn something in their Marvel model. But the eighth episode of Cloak and Dagger has a really subtle reference to the Netflix shows, uh, which is kind of cool. Wow, that is yeah. cool. So I love all pretty much all the stuff they do with the characters Tandy and Tyrone because of the nature of the show and we can't go like global uh, or, 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 you know, intergalactic threats, the, what presents itself ultimately as the threat of the season didn't totally work for me. Okay. Um, just okay. sort of visually and sort of, um, it's a little dumb to be quite frank in, in mm. how I perceived it, but you know, them kind of the, the character beats them discovering the uses of their powers and, and kind of coming into their own as characters. I really did enjoy. So I do think it's an entertaining show. I, I would stand again by my recommendation of it. Just know there's a strong chance once it starts heading towards home and you're like, Oh, that's the threat. That's kind of cheesy. I don't oh, at I all. Dis- I don't at all disagree with you. So yeah, that's my last. Uh, what you watch and what you read and what you listen to. What read are you listening to? So it's only going to be. Uh, this is a bit premature because this this album that I'm preparing for is coming out in three weeks as of this recording. So you're not even listening to it. Ah, bah, bah. So to my dismay, Paul Simon arguably my favorite musical artist ever is retiring. He's officially retiring. I know that many, many musical artists go on like an annual farewell tour and it's almost become kind of like a joke that they are constantly retiring. Paul Simon doesn't seem of that same ilk when he makes an announcement of something he usually follows through. Um, He says he's officially retiring and to coincide next month with his final concert, his final major concert tour uh, ending in London, I believe it is. Um, he's releasing a new album. The new album, I find this concept staggering, and that's why I'm referencing it now. I'm giving some love to my longtime favorite artist, Paul Simon. Uh, I do have, I do love Bob Dylan too, but Paul Simon probably gets the top spot. So Paul Simon is releasing an album, and I love this concept. He is looking back over the last, you know, his solo career, the last thirty years or so, uh, forty years now. Um, He's looking back over the last 40 years, and 
there were some songs that when he looked at them, he was like, you know, I was really proud of this material, but it didn't really catch on. It didn't really, um, something didn't connect with audiences. It didn't get the attention that I was sort of expecting it to get. And so he's taking those 10 songs that he was like, I was really proud of this work, but it just didn't really connect with audiences. So he's going back to the drawing board on those 10 songs. So the album that he's releasing is all is 10 songs that we as fans have all already heard because they're from his previous right. albums. Sure. But as many artists do, uh, many artists release like this is the acoustic version of it. This is the jazz version or there'll be there'll be something where there's like a stylistic sort of interpretation on things where they'll say, okay, right. we'll, we'll do it in this style. That's not what Paul Simon's doing here. Paul Simon is restructuring the songs as if from scratch, as if from the drawing board, but, you know, sort of reimagining them. Okay. My sensibilities today, my sensibilities now, how would I craft these songs? How would I produce them? What musical arrangements would I do? In many cases, he said he's teased that he's playing with all of the musical arrangements, the harmonies, oftentimes the lyrics. And I'm so excited about that idea. And I'm so excited to hear. So I, what, I've been listening to is I've been listening to those previous 10 songs in their original versions to sort of prep by comparison for whatever he's going to give us moving forward. But I thought what a great concept as a creative thinker to be like, Hey, I'm going to take this material and I'm going to just completely go back to the drawing board. Even if your impulse wasn't because you were unsatisfied, we've right. talked on the show going way back to like in our John Carpenter profile, we dug in a little bit on just being self-aware of like, Hey, I just didn't really get, the what I wanted to out of this material and I just love it so much that that Paul Simon's new album is going to be 10 songs supposedly fans are familiar with but in utterly new versions new imaginings as it were uh, not just gimmicked around a stylistic choice but basically like hey I'm going to take another uh, as we call in the screenplay world a page one rewrite on these songs and try again and I've, I just think that's phenomenal i don't know if other people are as excited about that concept as i am but i just thought it would be great if more artists would be willing to do that instead of just capitalizing on a product be like let me let me take another pass at it and try again so sure that's what i've been listening to i i, I love it so are you going to be able and this is a challenge to you on episode 100 that we're discussing psycho where we're two years into the you're the brain this is the brainchild of your demented mind of this podcast <laughs> are you reed able to take us out of what you're watching to the tune of a paul simon track oh of a paul simon track oh well i can give it a shot i mean i can <laughs> i can try it i can i can say something like a man walks down the street he says what are you watching now and what are you reading and what are you listening to are you really listening to that or are you listening to me right now and what are you reading when you get home and what are you watching then if you be my Nathan Rousen, I will be your Reed Lackey. I can call you Betty, and Betty, if you call me, you can call me Fear of God. Yeah. <laughs> We're so stupid. We're pretty dumb. We're pretty dumb. Oh, oh hey, man. You know, it is what it is. So, hey, buddy. All right. So, now so before are we doing Monster Mash? Yeah, let's... Okay, so before we dive into Psycho, listeners, thanks for hanging in with us. Those who might be checking out Psycho for the first time, we're going to be with you in about maybe five more minutes. But we have a big announcement to make. We've got a champion to crown in the Monster Mash. He did the monster mash. The monster mash. 
It was a graveyard smash. He did the mash. It got on in a flash. He did the mash. He did the monster. From my laboratory in the car. Read the monster mash. It's been going on. This has been going on for what? Like. Six weeks, yeah, more. It's been it's been for almost two months, yeah. So wow. Um, now followers on Instagram may already know these updates, but if you just subscribe to the feed and if you're just listening to the episode, and this is your only way to get sort of updates on the Monster Mash, then uh, here are the updates. We had our four champions in the monsters. It was John Carpenter's The Thing, and the humans. It was Stephen King's Carrie, and the slashers. It was Jason Voorhees of Friday the Thirteenth, and in the spirits, it was the It Follows spirit, whom we lovingly have, uh, refer to as Jimmy. So, um, oh, that's you, how he's that's how he's credited in the movie. I don't Some think the, that's I don't think that's true. It is. So, <laughs> <laughs> but um so so uh, followers know we uh announced with with tremendous sadness on sunday night that uh that unfortunately in fourth place uh was our beloved prom queen herself one miss carrie white no i know nathan no so i was i was actually partially kind of pulling for her to win it all um either her or one other member of monster mash but sadly uh she dropped out in fourth place nathan uh you know full well who dropped out on uh, monday night a bit of an upset why don't you why don't you tell us who dropped out on monday night well i was so just you know despondent over carrie's departure from the final four uh, so going into the top three, um, as again, you, you diligent, dutiful, beautiful fear of God consumers, uh, saw on some version of social media that you saw it on camp crystal Lake finally got the best of the one and only Jason Voorhees. He did get knocked yep. out. He is not in the top two. So we had four. It went to, we lost Carrie. It went to three. We lost Jason. We are now read there it is top two it is jimmy the std monster versus <laughs> versus the thing which john carpenter's all thing. sorts of weird freudian things to be said so um so how do you want to do this do you want me to announce it do i you want me care. to do the honor <laughs> <laughs> wow okay so here's what's happening in real time later <laughs> is several episodes ago Several episodes ago, when the thing was going up against the alien, against the xenomorph, Nathan very like quickly threw in. He's like, "I don't want the thing to win. I don't. I don't want the thing to win." And I was like, "Well, I it wasn't. Know that I'm it sorry. will." I don't mean to cut you off. No, it's okay. As I was like, "I don't know that it will. I don't know that the thing will will take it all." And you said, "You said if the thing beats, I think you said if the thing beats the alien, then you predict the thing to go all the way." So what's happening here in real time is that Nathan, despite his and my both pulling tremendously for Jimmy the It Follows Spirit, uh, Nathan is is bemoaning the fact that he was right because John Carpenter's The Thing, as voted on by our listeners, is the ultimate monster in the Fear of God monster mash. John Carpenter's The Thing takes it all. Don't boo. I love the thing. Boo, queen of refuse, queen of (laughs) filth. No, 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 no. I mean, hey, it was a fun run. It was was pretty fun. But it's episode 100. It only makes sense to end it here. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, no, no. It I mean, like in a it. pure, in a pure, yes. What I, uh, what, what re- the story we just alluded to, in a pure, like no emotions involved. Yes, it makes total sense that the thing would take it all because it's a an assimilating beast of elemental proportions you know just just consuming and converting and digesting all organic life in its path sure so fine the thing wins <laughs> john carpenter is the lord of all darkness and fear of godness wow and wow. <laughs> so yeah but regardless uh, my my heart is a bit broken i thought jimmy was was just gonna be a shoe in and or carry sure. it's okay sure. you know in my heart they won they're, and they're All off. Right. They're off together. As I see, this is it. This is how it works. I'm just. I'm a futurist. Um, I predicted that the thing would win. I predicted that Jimmy and Carrie would get knocked out, and now they are off. You know, just making creepy babies together somewhere. <laughs> That's it's just. They're just. You know, Carrie finally got the mild sense of justice she deserved by making it into the top four. She and, was the champion. Uh, like, let's not take it away from any of these three. I she's the champion sad, of our hearts. But she was she was the champion of the humans category. She knocked out like Hannibal Lecter. I mean, she did. Like, and you she, know what's funny is li- re-listening to that. I really missed an opportunity to make a, a Me Too joke there about you know like the young woman <laughs> taking down the 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 old white man. You know, just just taking oh, him out. Yeah, yeah. See wow. now there it is. Yeah! Wow. Carrie wins! <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. So, yes, you, the Monster Mash is officially concluded. Thank you. Feminist, feminist humor. Thank you, listeners, to all of you who voted. We really had a good time. We hope you did, too. It, oh, it was a hell of a lot of fun. It and, was so much me, fun. Like, yes. This, the, the, what you hear in my voice is just how emotionally invested. This should, <laughs> see, Reed, on episode 100, this should speak volumes to you. Two years ago, who cares who wins this stupid thing? <laughs> now I'm like, no, I care deeply about who wins the Monster Mash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so uh, true. It's so yes. true. So so there it is, ladies and gentlemen. The John Carpenter's The Thing is officially the fear of God landmark. He's, he's the champion. He, she, it, whatever it is, The Thing is the champion. So that is your ultimate monster. Um, cool. So, yes. Yep. The thing won it and is going to go on to uh, uh, have the fear of God monster mash crown for the foreseeable future. But Reed, <laughs> that's, you know, the monster mash was just a fun speed bump on the road to why we're really here on the road off that little beaten path from the highway where nobody really goes anymore. Um, as we pull up mm. to the Bates Motel. Here it is. Oh my gosh. So clearly you have a lot of enjoyment around this movie and that's actually not disparaging the movie whatsoever it's just i no, of call, course calling out calling out your sort of particular affection for it like separate i know you ended up appreciating a lot the bates motel show um oh i loved it yeah if you're able to kind of separate that piece of the puzzle out what is your personal kind of journey with the movie psycho like you know where uh clearly exorcist what is it? Last Temptation? That's your big one that you love so much? 
Um, no, Not Last no. Temptation. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth. That's what I'm thinking. Jesus, yeah, Jesus of Nazareth is a big one for me. The Exorcist is a big one for me. But um, the, currently, in my current sort of ranking of, of favorite films, Psycho, as it frequently does, is taking the number two spot. It's a Wonderful Life held the number two spot for a few years there, and, and It's a Wonderful Life still holds number three. But right now, Psycho's you know, kind of jumped back up into number two because I'm constantly shuffling. But uh, no, I think I had mentioned, I think I've mentioned this a couple of times on the show. If not on this show, I've mentioned it on other shows. No, I think I mentioned it on this show. So I've, I, I saw Psycho for the first time when I was six years old. That is my son's age right now. I saw, I saw Psycho for the first time when I was my son's age. And yeah. Um, there's it so much is, that could be said right now. I know. But I know. Carry on. That's, carry on. And 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 the rest was history. Um, right. So in many. So ways, he joined. So your son joined you on this rewatch, right? Just uh, to, no. <laughs> <laughs> my, my son implicitly told me, or explicitly told me, I am not to show him Psycho, any part of it. In fact, when I was watching it in the other room, he hadn't fallen asleep yet. He heard the music and he was like, "Don't watch that." Don't don't watch that movie. Oh god, <laughs> terrorizing your child. And, the and other so room. I was like, okay, fine, I'll pause it. And, and really, I just turned it down, put the subtitles on. But basically, so yeah, I saw that at first when I was six. In many ways, Psycho feels, if if not actually, it feels responsible for a lot of things. It feels responsible for my love for film. Uh, it, I feel like it's responsible for my love for story and narrative. I feel like it's responsible for my love for scary stuff. Like it impacted me so much because of how young I was when I saw it. Um, I also, as listeners who may have made it this far and somehow not seen Psycho, culture has utterly destroyed the the ending of it has utterly destroyed the the conceit of the film. And I saw it because I saw it so young. I saw it before any element of it was spoiled because you should never have seen it that age. And so (laughs) it makes sense that nothing would have been spoiled. That's true. Um, So I remember distinctly, you know, when I saw it so much about, the the elements of surprise the the protagonist pivot in the end a lot of this we'll get to but the protagonist pivot in the end the the shower scene the final revelation it i mean so much of that was tremendously impactful for me and i can still in some ways remember even though i've seen this film probably 20 or 30 times now at this point um i can still sort of tap into that feeling when I first saw it and the experience the very first time that uh, Lila turns around the mother like turns around mother in a rocking chair and seeing mother's face for the first time uh, I can I can still remember what it felt like to see that as a small child and it was it was tremendously impactful for me and in some ways because I didn't go to the movie theaters a lot when I was a kid some of that was just cultural some of that was financial but I didn't go to the movie theaters a lot when I was a kid and lots of cinephiles and and cinefans talk about their first experience of sitting in the movie theater and falling in love with movies where you sit there you see it on the big screen and you fall in love with movies well I mean I think my first movie in the big movie theater wasn't until I was eight or nine years old so it was it was a bit late um, from when many of them ex- described their first experience of it but for me it was very much my six-year-old self sitting there watching uh, a late night showing of psycho on like Turner Classic Movies or TNT or something. And so watching it there was my first experience of it. And that was such an indelible moment for me of just like, I 
love this. There's so much about this that is freaky and creepy and scary. And at the same time, I'm very exhilarated and excited by it. And I'm just, I'm just, I, I love this. I love that a film can, can create this impact and effect on me. So that's why it's, I mean, to be honest with you, The Exorcist is my favorite film, but Psycho may in many ways be more important to me in my overall love for films and cinema and storytelling and all that other sort of stuff. Sure. And your strange affection for your mother. My, well. <laughs> hey, yeah, I better uh, go real, check and see how she's doing. Yeah, <laughs> real quick. Take 30 seconds. Uh, spoiler alert for Bates Motel. If you haven't watched it, you know, skip ahead a few minutes. How, where, where chronologically does Bates Motel resolve the show? So Bates Motel in many ways is, is slightly weird. I'll, I'll be as brief as I can up until the end of season four. There's five seasons. There's five seasons. Right. Up until the end of season four, Bates Motel kind of acts as a more modern alternate world prequel sure. to Psycho. Right. Season five is very much an alternate world reimagining of Psycho. Okay. So season five, up until up until the end of season four, you could have imagined a scenario in which this all just led up to the film. But then season five essentially takes a television season and recreates the film based on the threads that they had created in right. their in their narrative. And they they switch some things up. They, you know, tilt the mythology on its head in some interesting ways. So yeah, I mean, I to me, the pinnacle of Bates Motel is season four, um, just because I was so blown away and impressed and mesmerized by how they concluded season four. Um, but yeah, if you watch the series in its entirety, you're going to get four seasons of prequel and then a an alternate world reimagining of the core story of the film Psycho. Interesting. So, okay, yeah, no, that's, that's helpful. It. Helpful too. Com- complete with, uh, and I will say, complete with a Marion Crane and Sam Loomis and the whole nine, like everybody. Cool. All right. Well, I think this might've been my third viewing. I don't remember when I first watched this. Um, but I, but you know, it's episode a hundred. No one is confused by now about Nathan's fuzzy memory. Um, (laughs) but I actually feel like it's been relatively recently that I've seen it because I could, I could track a lot of where it was going, not just like the major beats, but you know, sure, sure. I, I had recollections of very specific images and things like that. I will say like, I, I don't know if you, for those of you who appreciate Nathan's participation on the show, don't hold these thoughts against me. Um, I don't know if you had to watch it at six years old. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, but like, there's something to me and we can, we can use this as an on-ramp to kind of the general stuff. If, if that's, a, if you like, yeah, 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 right. by all means. Um, sure. There's a lot I really like about psycho. Mm-hmm. I think, I think Anthony Perkins is fantastic. Um, oh, he's brilliant. I love the general atmosphere and flavor and tone. I love the script. Um, in fact, one of the things I wrote down is I love talkie movies. That scene between Norman and Marion in the office is just fantastic. Oh, that's um, a phenomenal scene. Might be my favorite scene in the movie, honestly. Really? Yeah. I don't. Um, and hey, you know, co-host take, take, uh, have some grace on me here. If uh, it's exploring, not explaining. I really think Psycho, in a way that I didn't expect, 
knowing the twists, which are significant and culturally monumental, mm-hmm. to me does hurt. It, it's it's an interesting thing to watch just to absorb the kind of film craft, and I will totally give all credit to that. Uh, yeah. From, a, from yeah. a narrative standpoint, there's a lot of deflation. And and I guess what I'm trying to say here is like, I think of something, an easy analog is like Sixth Sense. Hmm. Knowing the end of Sixth Sense, which, you know, like, you could almost say those two are kind of mirror images of each other in the sense that the narrative changes so heavily by one or two crucial elements of the story. Yeah. Like, of course. And, and really yeah. had a, and really had a major impact culturally speaking too. for me personally. And maybe it's just proximity bias. Maybe it's just, you know, like, I don't know exactly what I even knowing the end of six Sense, find great pleasure in re watching that movie in a sure. way that psycho doesn't quite accomplish for me mm. in this kind of in, in the in the current me that that exists and watch these movies kind of just knowing where the story goes a lot of it's hard for me to imagine or remember and i think there's a possibility that because it's possible the first time i watched it maybe culturally i kind of knew there were twists and maybe even knew what those twists yeah, were of course that mm-hmm. so much suspense is robbed you know and it's oh, it, to, oh, to the I point that it's hard it's hard to even imagine what would it have felt like to experience it new, you know, it's, it's really hard to enter that brain space. And so this isn't me knocking the movie per se, or it's certainly not my intention to, it is just hard for me to enter into the narrative knowing where it goes. Um, Oh, I totally, I totally agree. I'm going to, I'm going to cut you off real quick and go you you one more. Uh, I have a a friend, uh, the, the son of a peer of my wife's (laughs) real labyrinthine there, but I have a friend who was really excited about Bates Motel. That was his only experience of the Norman Bates world. He loved Bates Motel. And when we were hanging out one time, I had the privilege of showing him Psycho for the first time. And Nathan, I, I mean, I love this guy and I didn't get upset. He laughed during the shower scene. Like I'm, sure. I'm, and so, so I'm, I'm validating that when you know certain things and certain key moments, um, I do think a lot of the, a lot of the impact is robbed, unless you are a fan and appreciator of the film craft at play, which I do think is objectively sure. brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, I do feel like this is a film that I'm, I mean, I'm extremely grateful that I saw this before all of these beats were spoiled for me. Sure, sure. And, and not even just, this is a bit selfish, but not even just because my experience of the movie was so strong, but because I can directly speak to that feeling you get when you see that shower scene for the first time and you don't know what's about to happen. Like, right. it's, it's nerve-wracking to with no musical cue, with nothing but the sound of the water, see that door open and see sure, that sure. figure steadily approach the shower, that is a that is terrifying. Right. Now, in the context when you know that and when that thing has been parodied and when it has been joked about and you know what music is coming and everything, like, yeah, then it, it does sort of dilute it and it robs it of its power um, when your associations with it have been a multitude before you actually encounter the right. piece. I'll even go so far as to, to drop in a little trivia bit here. 
Hitchcock, for the very first time that cinemas had ever done this, you may have read this in your wanderings or your, uh, you know, discovery reading up on the film or whatever. Uh, this was the very first time that this was agreed to, the very first time. And Hitchcock had the directorial clout to be able to pull something like this. Theaters that showed this film were people were not allowed to enter the th- the theater to see the film if they were not in their seats when the credits started to roll. Wow. Like if you if That's you were cool. in the restroom and missed it for like thirty seconds, attendants would stand there. You were not allowed into the movie theater. Wow! And yeah. and Hitchcock had this as part of the promotional thing. There was a big picture of him pointing to a wristwatch and saying, "You must be in your seat." Interesting. When Psycho begins, and in fact, in some movie theaters, they would play a little phonograph that sure. said 10 minutes to Psycho." five minutes to psycho like to alert people who might be right. in the concession uh, concession line or whatever like you need to get in the theater because once that happens we're going to close the doors you must see it from the beginning and right. that was the first time that a gimmick like that had ever been done william castle of the of the 40s um, had done many sort of gimmicks in the horror world um his films like the tingler and house on haunted hill and everything they all had like gimmicks associated with him to sort of enhance the viewer's experience hitchcock was the first to do something like that where he's like you can't see this movie if you don't watch it from the beginning and to go even further than that he low-key anonymously bought the rights to robert block's novel for $9,000, and I don't have $9,000, but... <laughs> Episode 100! He, uh, he low-key bought the rights to Robert Block's novel, and as soon as he had acquired the rights... By the way, when Robert Block found out that that it was Alfred Hitchcock who bought the rights, he was mad! <laughs> he was furious! Uh, because Hitchcock could have afforded a lot more. Um, but he bought the rights for $9,000, and then sent assistance and everything to go out and immediately buy wow. all the copies yeah, of the books. Yeah. Like he bought all the copies of the books that he could possibly find. And then on the set, on the set had an oath every day before set cast and crew had to swear. I will not reveal plot details of this movie to my friends or family. I will not reveal it to the press, nothing. And then he did not even tell when, when people signed on for the role he did not give anyone the ending of that that crucial moment in the fruit cellar. Yeah. He did not give it. That scene was omitted from the screenplay when actors signed on for it. And until the time that John Gavin and Vera Miles and, and Anthony Perkins were going to film that scene, that's when they found out what was going to be in that scene. Mm. I mean, Hitchcock went to tremendous lengths right, to try right, to, right. you know, no spoiler alerts. And this is pre-internet world. Sure, sure. <laughs> like, like he went to tremendous lengths that this would not be spoiled for people. So I think his instincts were correct in the sense that, yes, when you know what's coming, something of the mystique, something yeah. I'll even say of the power is yeah. robbed despite and I think the that's, film craft. Yeah, and I think that's all I'm trying to say is I, I kind of lament, I think, that... I, 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 this may sound like a strong ratio, but kind of 50, I imagine as I sort of portion this out, probably like 50% of the impact of this film is just not knowing those beats. And otherwise you're just kind of left to try to appreciate it as opposed to like be affected by it. Um, and so, and so that's challenging. Here's a random question. What to your knowledge is, is, is a specific and or favorite parody of this that you're aware of? A favorite parody? Um, to be honest, I don't know of many. Uh, well, I, don't, I don't know many that I that I like that I would love or would cite with sure. affection. Well, sure. this is this is super random, but I never would have thought this, and for some reason, 
in my maybe one or two other times watching this, it didn't click with me. <laughs> I think Pee Wee's Big Adventure parodies Psycho in a spot. At which Where? actually makes a tiny bit of sense because Tim Burton, you know, and that would be a pretty significant influence there. Um, I imagine the scene when Marion is on the uh, when she's driving and it's she's playing all those sound bites in her head. Yes. And it's yes. this long, drawn out sequence. And I don't know if you remember this. There's a scene in Pee Wee's Big Adventure where he's driving. It's late at night and the signs are really? passing on the road. I'm sure that's a call. And, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was just sure this, it was just this beautiful moment where like. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Pee-wee's Big Adventure. That's where this Parody comes from. Psycho. Yeah, so it was it was it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, yeah. So, well, I know I think you're going to end up with some decent thematic ideas, knowing how energized you are about his. But let's let's camp out a little bit on the on the likes dislikes. So, here's another thought, uh, objective. You know, talking about the impact of this movie on sort of cinema itself. Um, actually, shout out Stephen Hargrove who. Reed said was very forgettable. I'm going to make sure he isn't forgotten here. Wow. Um, <laughs> you said it. Um, Steven did come join me for the actual showing of Psycho, and we were talking about it afterwards. And, uh, had he ever seen it? Uh, I think he said he had, yeah. Um, okay. We were talking about other movies where, you know, a star is sold on the marquee and then offed early and the impact that has mm, the only mm-hmm. other one i could really off the top of my head think of was scream i mean and even then like screams a big wheel yeah yeah you know yeah. but even then that's a pretty different because drew barrymore's within the first five minutes or so i mean it's very i have quick. a <laughs> i have another very random one what? um it's an action it's a relatively forgettable action film called executive decision that starred on the marquee kurt russell and steven seagal huge letters kurt russell's face right there and in fairness steven seagal's you know face wasn't plastered there but it says kurt russell steven seagal and steven seagal dies in like the first 10 minutes of the movie and goes to russia and now is a a delegate from russia on russia's (laughs) behalf to America. Meanwhile, Kurt Russell's the thing overtakes it all <laughs> and goes, we, we drop the thing on Russia and it devours everything oh, and then comes creepy. back and takes us. Wow. Oh, what a God, weird sort of alt. <laughs> yeah. That's very that's strange. Very odd. Um, so, but that's the, that's honestly the only one that I can think of like at the moment, I'm sure there are more, but uh, that's the only one I can think of. And, and to be fair, like, like you mentioned, you know, scream, Drew Barrymore right up top on the marquee. She goes in the first five minutes. Steven Seagal on the marquee goes in the first 10 minutes. This one, this one is gutsy because this one, like Janet Lee is a star. Anthony Perkins is a relative unknown. He had done stuff before, but he wasn't, he wasn't like a big name yet. But uh, Janet Lee was somewhat popular at the time. And you spend, 45 minutes with right her. right you don't sp- you don't spend five minutes you see a ton of her story you know some of her motivation you know some of her goals you are tracking with her as a character arc right. you feel for her you care for her you sympathize for her plight and and even though you probably you know philosophically largely disagree with whatever she's doing um it, there is a lot of investment when she exits the film and that was extremely gutsy incredibly gutsy for 1960 when this film was released but uh, but even gutsy now like i can't imagine a movie doing that now like today where the well where the, I, a fresh piece uh, well it's funny i think i think there's a world where i can imagine a movie doing that the unfortunate thing is and the difference would be the marketing would sell that fact 
You know yeah, what I mean? that's like, true. Yes. Come see yes. the Charlize Theron movie where she dies 45 minutes in. You know, they, they make some <laughs> yeah, sort maybe. of deal about it. Um, well, some troll would spoil it. Yeah. yeah well, they're everywhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're not just under bridges anymore. Um, another, speaking of influences, uh, and, you know, the, this movie being as influential as it is, like this, all of this is relative, but like, I actually saw, and I don't, I don't know, I haven't read enough of American Psycho sort of marketing and interviews to know this, but there's a world in which I could easily see Christian Bale having Norman Bates, Pat, uh, Anthony Jenkins influences in his performance of Patrick Bateman. Um, Did you say Anthony Jenkins or Anthony Perkins? I don't know what I said. Oh. I meant, I meant Anthony Perkins if I don't oh, know okay. what came out of my mouth, but I it might've, it might've been a lag in the, it might've been a lag in the network. Okay. But, uh, no, but yeah. I, I meant Anthony Perkins, not Anthony Jenkins. That's, his well, <laughs> that's his, that's his brother. That's he, that's his brother. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was weird. But, they both got named Anthony, but the last names are different. Well, and, and that's what you referenced earlier. talking about likes, dislikes, like you referenced earlier, like I, I've seen this film. I, it would not surprise me at all. Looking back. If I've seen this film more than 30 times, Anthony Perkins blows me away every single time. His performance is a watershed. It is it is some sort of brilliant lightning in a bottle encapsulation. You talk about Christian Bale being able to to bring something to this role. It's like I almost think Christian Bale, which granted, yes, he may have sort of infused something of Norman Bates's sort of uh, quirkiness into his performance. I could totally see that. Um, but I feel like there's not a correlative actor right now who brings everything that Anthony Perkins brings to the table. He's tall, but he's wiry and he's and he's slight of frame and he's he's very sort of at the same time he's handsome but he's he's also a, a bit oafish as it were. Right. Um and and there's I get that a lot. Handsome but oafish. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with you Nathan? Um yeah, but I mean, like Anthony Perkins' performance in this is so, and I mean, Hitchcock, this is a bit, uh, there's a lot of trivial bits that are probably going to bubble to the surface as we bring different things up just because of how much I've absorbed about this movie over time. But Hitchcock specifically, it's never been explicitly stated, at least in anything that I've read, that Hitchcock knew that Anthony Perkins was a homosexual, but there's a strong implication that Hitchcock knew because he wanted to hire Anthony Perkins specifically saying this, this man has something to hide. And that was part of what he wanted to tap into in a natural way, bringing him into this, this role as Norman Bates. So while I've never seen it stated specifically that Hitchcock was capitalizing on Perkins homosexuality, because I don't even know if Perkins was out of the closet at that point. But he was very much like this man has something to hide and, and was trying to pivot that into the the understanding and interpretation of Norman Bates. So, but yeah, Perkins is Perkins is brilliant in this. He's he's genius. He's absolutely genius. Yeah. Well, and we can we can sort of we, we've talked kind of around the content of the movie a good bit. We can sort of lean into that a little bit here. I mean, I think for me, just in terms of some scenes that aren't kind of the majors, if you haven't seen this movie and haven't been spoiled by a glut of culture around you doing so that's impressive um but the spoiler alert the 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 basic <laughs> story is we are introduced to janet lee's character marion crane who uh furtively in a in a relevant scene uh absconds with forty thousand dollars and i don't have forty thousand dollars uh <laughs> but that was a lot more money in 1960 and so the whole kind of first 
30 minutes ish is her kind of on the lamb, uh, trying to figure out exactly what she's doing. She's, uh, she's heading to the lover, right? I mean, that's the intention more or less. She is or heading is that to stated? her boyfriend. Yeah. yeah. Um, and sort of ends off, ends up kind of off the beaten path at the Bates motel, uh, where she encounters, uh, Norman, who has weird attraction to her, uh, kills her as it's, there's so many different places. The major beats are the spoilers here just to get to the point is she gets killed at the 50 minute mark of about an hour and 50 movie that happens by, uh, what appears to be an old woman. You ultimately learn this old woman who Norman Bates keeps referring to as his mother is actually him as the mother. He suffered some sort of mental breakdown at a certain point in life, psychotic breakdown as the, title suggests and is sort of perpetrating these things um so kind of digging into some of the specific elements of the movie you were talking about some of the film craft or we both were um i i think one of my favorite moments in the entire film is when the car stalls as it sinks like it stops oh that moment yes. that's great Keep going yeah it's great it is brilliant um, and before you move on, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so how, how we can do this is if you want to just reference things and then I'll just sort of piggyback on them with my feelings on them, because uh-huh. uh, I have feelings about every single second of this friggin' movie. The reason that's brilliant is, and Hitchcock did this with Rope. We talked about this with Rope. We, t- we touched on it a little bit in Vertigo, where Hitchcock is really great at taking like your villain, your person who's doing something terrible, and making you care very deeply about them in that one moment. Sure. Because what's brilliant about that, that car sinking into the swamp and, and stalling, and when Norman Bates is like looking around like to see if anybody's, if anybody's right, there, right. if anybody's noticing him, Hitchcock is, is kind of investing you in him. Right, in that moment right, right. in very manipulative and subtle ways that uh, that is really impressive because then you're then you kind of care about him as well it doesn't mean that you don't want this truth all to come to light but you you kind of are with norman in that moment in that yeah d- sink sink and it's like right, it's so right. twisted because you're, you're, you're wanting him to successfully cover up this murder oh, sure <laughs> so sure creepy. well and interestingly too though you say that yes He is clearly trying to cover up a murder, but in that particular moment, if you're unfamiliar with the movie, you don't know that it's him that's perpetrated that murder. You know what I mean? Oh, no, no. Um, But at the very least, you know, he's covering for his mother and and, and that our heroine is gone and is being like they spend 10 minutes. I, I paid attention to the time signature on the movie when I watched it this most recent time. They spend 10 minutes on him cleaning up the body and the motel room. Wow. 10 minutes and and so much subtlety of him like wiping down the shower wiping down the sink washing his hands tarping the body carrying it out to the trunk uh mopping up everything is 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 given attention to detail and in those moments uh, one of you know a multitude of things hitchcock is probably doing is he's investing us in norman because by spending that much time with him right and by right. not doing so in an eerie or ominous way it's just norman's at that point in the film, if you haven't been spoiled, Norman's twisted mother has done this thing, and now this man is just trying to cover up for his scary mother. And well, and, it's, and yeah. at the same, at the, by the same token, you know, you talk about Hitchcock investing us in him. There is something really fascinating happening there about you being allowed as a viewer, again, which relies a lot on your ignorance to the story, but you being allowed as a viewer to kind of decompress from like, what you know like like in other yeah. words oh absolutely you, yes. you take that you take that sort of quiet time as he's sort of cleaning up 
to kind of process your feelings of yeah. not not just her passing, but now sort of a so now you have to kind of attach to him because this is right. your new centerpiece. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, no, it, it's it's very uh, astute. Mm-hmm. Uh, no doubt. I, I probably won't ultimately have as many notes as you might think here because a lot of them I've already said, but a couple of other little things that I really loved. I really love, and there's probably something thematic to talk about here, but in, on its surface at least, I just love that all the character motivations are like totally confused. Um, I mm. love that they all latch on to this $40,000. You know, right. that, that right. as a viewer, you keep, you, they keep bringing it up and you're like, ah. That doesn't even matter. That's like, like point. that's right. That's right. There's like nobody even cares about that. That doesn't matter. He just like blithely. I mean, he's unaware, but he just blithely tosses it in the trunk. You know, like, yes. And, and 20 minutes later, but what about the $40,000? That's why she did it. It's like, oh my gosh, y'all, you all are all on the wrong page. You know, Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's yes. a pretty, it really is a pretty cool sort of the, the layers at work are really fascinating because we are so used to being spoon fed kind of narrative and plot yes. that, that doesn't have much sort of depth to it, that that sort of calls your attention to itself. Like, and again, you can make a thematic idea here that we're all focusing on the wrong thing while the monster is killing us. Um, oh, but, yes, very you know, much so, so I, I just really love that 20 minutes after the $40,000 that, that Norman doesn't even know exists has sunk to the bottom of the swamp that they're all still wondering about it and talking about it. Oh, absolutely. That was just a brief passing comment. I think yeah. I mentioned it on Vertigo, uh, but that's Hitchcock's MacGuffin plot point. Yes. L- yeah, like totally, totally. Where he, where he's introducing something that either the characters themselves or possibly even you, the audience think for a moment is going to be, insanely important that ultimately winds up being inconsequential the forty thousand dollars was was nothing but a means to get her on the road and land her at the bates motel that's all it was meant to do and uh so yeah yeah it's it is it's brilliant the way that that everybody is focusing on that when that's ultimately inconsequential there's a lot that could be said there do you have this is random but do you have a difficult time sort of separating yourself from your knowledge and and influence of the basement Motel tv show and the film at this point like do they all not, kind of run no. together no not at this not at this point and i think it's because the film as its original in its original form is so indelible to me sure, it was sure. for for many 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 years the film was all i saw i never saw any of the sequels until the last two or three years um bates motel ran for five seasons starting maybe uh, five years ago, five or six years ago at the most. Um, so for a long stretch of my life, Psycho, the film, was a singular entity. I knew well, there were sequels, but I hadn't seen them. Take, so it's, take uh, two seconds for those like me who are pretty ignorant. Talk about the, the, the following film iterations. The sequels? Yeah, okay. So um, for a long time, I didn't love them. or I, Well, I should say this. For a long time, I did not even give them a chance because I loved the original film so much, and I was like, they're probably not good. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna bother. Well, then Bates Motel actually kicked the door open for me because I did really enjoy that, and so I was like, you know what? I'm I'm in my 30s. I'm fine. Let me go ahead and like try these movies out, and I'm sure I can. I'm not it out. six years old anymore. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm sure that even if they're garbage, it's not gonna like damage my feelings about the first film. And to my surprise, because my expectations were extremely low, I love Psycho 2. I love it. It obviously does not hold a candle to the first film for me, either from a film craft standpoint or uh, emotional impact. But they do some genuinely interesting and things. And is it Anthony Perkins? 
Is it related? It's an- yes. Anthony Perkins comes back as Norman Bates. When did Norman it come Bates. out? Uh, yeah. 19, I want to say 1983 or 84. Um, okay. it, was, it was in the 80s, 84 to 86 range, but um, I would need to look it up to know definitively. But So it came out in the mid-80s. Uh, Anthony Perkins plays Norman Bates again. Uh, I won't spoil this, but... Well, it's Spoiler. it's revealed. In, it's psycho. It's, yeah, it's revealed in the opening moments of Psycho Two. But Lila, uh, Marion's sister, reprises her role as uh, right. Vera Miles. Repri- reprises her role as uh, Lila Crane, uh, who in this film is now Lila Loomis, indicating that she and Sam Loomis sure, got right. married. But the, what that what that sequel does that's very interesting is that sequel plays a lot on the notion of Norman is a mentally ill man who desperately wants to be and is desperately trying to be better. And there are forces in the in his natural surroundings and in the people around him that are trying very hard because of what he has already done to draw him back into that psychosis permanently so that he can just be put away and discarded and done away with. Hmm. Um, and so it is, uh, it is very interesting from that thematic exploration. Maybe we'll at some point get get to that film but i really very affectionate for psycho 2 psycho 3 anthony perkins himself actually directed and again reprises his role as norman bates uh, psycho 3 is surprisingly funny it's uh, it's like more humorous than it is scary and to that end dilutes itself for me sure um i'm not a huge fan of of psycho 3 um but it has its fans and i don't think it's unwatchable i definitely think it's got you know some degree of value particularly if you're a fan of this franchise just go into it expecting more fun camp than anything else the uh, then Psycho Four. Um, Good Lord, attempt- I had no idea there were this many. Yeah, Psycho Four is called The Awakening, and Psycho Four is essentially what Bates Motel would eventually become. Psycho Four is Norman Bates calls into a radio show because he wants to confess and tell about his childhood, and so the film in flashback goes back and shows sure. his childhood. But one thing, the difference between that, and I'll end it here. The difference between that is that in Psycho 4, it very much digs in on, like, he's got a crazy mother. And in Bates Motel, Vera Farmiga, of course, playing uh, Norman Bates' mother, um, has a much more layered, complex, ultimately likable and invested performance. She's a consummate performer, too. She's exceptional. Uh, exceptional in that series as well. So um, so there's a lot, well, there's a lot but, there of um, differentiation. Uh, and I presume you, like most of the folks that I understand who did absorb it, uh, the is it a Gus Van Sant, Vince Vaughn, like shot oh, for shot yes. remake? I mean, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Um, so, so the Gus Van Zandt, I'm, I'm being teasing yeah, here, of course, yeah. but, but Gus Van Zandt remade Psycho beat for beat, shot for shot. The only things he modernized is that it is in color now. And he updated a couple of sort of modern sensibilities, like instead of 40000 it's $400,000. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he updated a few things, but it was shot for shot, beat for beat. Uh, obviously, different actors. Vince Vaughn is in the Norman Bates role. Uh, Anne Heche is Marion Crane. Uh, William H. Macy as Arbogast. Um, I forget. Uh, oh, uh, Viggo Mortensen is Sam, Luma, Sam huh, Loomis. Interesting. But basically, I, I remember vaguely it's not a verbatim quote but i remember what roger ebert said is that he said i'm glad gus van sant has done this so that now and forever everybody will realize how pointless it is to do a thing like sure this. sure um, <laughs> right right and, right and and so it's such a backhanded sort of comment but he's basically like this this is pointless like there's absolutely right. no value to right. this exercise whatsoever um and uh yeah huge disappointment i even went back not not too long ago maybe five six years ago i went back and revisited that film to see was i just being too harsh on it no 
it's it's awful. Like no disrespect to Gus Van Sant, no dis- no disrespect to the people who worked hard on that movie, but that is a waste of time. It is a, just a shot for shot remake. It is like some failed bad experiment gone wrong. And uh, yeah, it's it's not worth anybody's time or attention. All right. Well, thank you for that. No, and like that. It sounds like I'm being dismissive. No, I, I do appreciate that rundown. I, I had no clue there were four of the first volume, oh, yeah. basically. Um, there is also, uh, which I have not seen, there is also another film just called Bates Motel. I have not seen it. I don't know anything about it. Uh, supposedly, it has some veiled, vague connection. Anthony Perkins is not in it. It is not an official Psycho movie, so I have not sought it out. But yeah, there's a ton, uh, you know, sort of evolving and in this. You world. and I met Norman Bates at Hollywood Horror Nights in uh, 2017. Yes, we, we did. Got a As a matter of fact, him. we got a picture, and he almost killed you. And it would have been this, but you know, it's you know, but you yeah. were there, and I was like, read, 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 read. Yep. Never gets old. All right. Um, I've got one final thing on my likes, dislikes, but I'm going to pivot it into scares so that we can kind of move truck along a little bit here. Um, sure. Sure. I think, and on scares, I'll let you speak to this. Um, I just wrote a couple of quotes, but in terms of imagery and scenes, um, I think a lot of the scare factor is diluted a little bit by knowing the plot, but in terms of just pure effectiveness, I'm not wrong. Right. The last shot of Anthony Perkins' face has this weird kind of corpseish morph thing happening. It's got her, yeah. It's it's a composite of right. him superimposed and with her her corpse face. The, the yeah. corpse face that's that was fantastic, and I didn't know brilliant. it was going to happen. I was like, ah, oh, that's creepy as crap. Oh, it's fantastic, and then you know bleeds right into the the the. I mean, it's a brilliant moment. She the line is she wouldn't even harm a fly. He's grinning. The corpse superimposed over his face. The the swamped car is being pulled out as you know, I mean, it's it's yeah. brilliant. It is brilliant in all aspects. It's a wonderful final beat. Wonderful. Other than that, I mean, like, again, like the tone, the mood is really strong. His performance is exceptionally creepy. What what was probably scary in 1960 isn't quite as, quote unquote, scary now. So a little bit of diminishment there. But, you know, tonally and thematically, I mean, lines I wrote down, like, I mean, just all of the uh, Oedipal stuff, the, the Oedipal dialogue, you know, a boy's best friend yeah. is his mother. A son is a poor substitute for a lover. I'm like dead gum. Oh this yeah. Is yeah, 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 yeah. Intense junk. You know, I love when Mar- I think it's Marion says a man should have a hobby, and he just oh yes, quickly. Yes. Uh, it's it's more than a hobby. Hmm. Yeah. His, his just pretty much everything he's involved in in the film, you know, would would classify as creepy for me. Absolutely. Any other well, any standouts for you? Yeah, well, and not taking anything away from Janet Lee. I mean, I think Janet Lee in this film is is absolutely wonderful. It commands oh, yeah, a lot yeah, of her. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I mean, obviously, Anthony Perkins. It, you know, the film sort of hinges on him and his performance. But I think Janet Lee is is absolutely outstanding and amazing in this. I've got a rundown of some things that I want to mention, uh, and then if you want to, we can just go right right into themes because I know we're, sure. going, we're going a little long here. So I'll just run down my list. Did you happen to catch? Uh, well, you probably wouldn't have. So in in the opening scene in the hotel room when Marion is with Sam Loomis 
And when they're there, uh, they're talking about, he's talking about having to pay his alimony. Marion and Sam are lovers, but Sam is going through a divorce at the moment. Right. Uh, well, he's actually successfully divorced. He calls her his ex-wife, um, but he's paying alimony to her. And uh, he says, you know, I'm paying that and, you know, paying, paying, paying. And then Marion's line, Marion says, I pay too. And then here's her line. She says, they also pay who stay in hotel rooms. And I, I freaking love wow. that line. Wow. No, yeah. It's that. just right there at the top. They also pay who stay at hotel rooms and get, you know, given what we know of what's coming, I was like, that is brilliant. That is such great, subtle foreshadowing. Did you catch Hitchcock's cameo? I did. Well, Stephen Hargrove caught it while I was taking oh, notes. Oh, yeah. So uh, he so, is, uh, yes. yeah, he's standing outside of the work where uh, Marion Crane works. Did you know that Marion's coworker is Hitchcock's daughter? Pat I had Hitchcock. No, yeah. no clue. So Marion's coworker, the one who's very much like, he was flirting with you. He must have noticed my wedding ring. Um, so yeah, she is, <laughs> she is uh, yeah, she is Hitchcock's daughter. Um, th- this is this is a very subtle little thing in the hotel room scene at the beginning. Marion is you know in a scene that barely eked past the censors. Uh, she's in a white brazier. Right. But then once she has decided to steal the money and she's preparing to travel to California, she's in a black brassiere. Um, they did the same thing with her purse. When she when she has her purse in that opening scene and in the office, she's got a white purse. And then the purse that she packs up and takes with her and takes to the car dealership and everything is a black purse. So um, look at you know, there. I know. Subtle, those subtle little touches. Um, so one thing that I noted is uh, so her. And this will come back up in themes, so I'm only going to breeze past it right now. The interior imaginings of what people are saying back right. about her, I, I love, 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 cannot heap enough affection on that narrative touch. It says so much because those those conversations are not really happening. Sure. We don't know if any iteration of them ever happened, but she is imagining that they're happening. And here's what I love about Janet Lee's performance. She is asked to react facially to what she is you know what is going on inside of her mind and i think she does so beat for beat brilliantly she's nervous when they're talking about something that would make her nervous um she's kind of you know slyly playful when she you know she imagines him saying like yeah she'll give back that forty thousand dollars and if it's not i'll take it out of her fine soft flesh you know if any of it's missing um and so there's all these but that'll play into the theme that i that i have latched onto for this film but i love those those imaginings that she has i think that's a, a brilliant narrative touch for the film her imagining what people are saying about it while it's steadily raising the tension and raising the stakes without actually having to cut back and show us all these different things for a long section while Norman is speaking in the office, the scene between him and Marion, which I will also get back to in theme and is arguably my favorite moment in the movie. Did you notice that there's a there's a profile shot of him and the stuffed birds are everywhere? Sure. But there's this one very specific shot where he is in the foreground and there is an owl perched atop in the corner and the owl is spread winged and is look and is very much in a pose. Now I didn't read anywhere if that was intentional or not, but the owl is very much in a pose like he's about to swoop down like a bird of prey. And sure, it's, sure. it's, it's out of focus. The focus is Norman, but in the background you can very clearly see an owl with its wings spread out perched as if it's about to swoop down and capture a, a mouse or a rabbit sure, or something sure. like that. And I was like, that is, 
that is phenomenal. Like just this subtle little thing that, you know, and then he even says, my mother's as harmless as one of those stuffed birds. And I think it's in the moment when he says that, that you can see the stuffed owl ready to swoop down. I'm like, God, that's brilliant. That is so fantastic. <laughs> um, another comment about stuffed birds. I don't know if you caught that Marion's last name is Crane, which is a right, bird. Right. Um, one last comment, the sort of a trivial bit uh, that I'll mention is, uh, so Hitchcock himself was disappointed with the cut of this movie and was about to give up on it. Um, he had, you know, invested a lot of his personal fortune into its making, and he was about to give up on the film until Bernard Herman added a musical score to it. And Hitchcock was literally going to edit this down and air it as a cup as a two-parter for one of his Hitchcock Presents episodes. That's what wow. he was going to do with this wow. film. But when Bernard Herman added his score, it it changed everything. Hitchcock saw the film with the score, and he was like, "This is." This is it. Now we've got a movie. S- loved it so much that he said in later interviews that he credited at least a third of the film's success to Bernard Herrmann's score, and he doubled Bernard Herrmann's already agreed upon salary because wow. of how much the score like elevated the piece, sure. as it were. My uh, my final sort, and it is a scare. Um, Arbogast as a character, like I feel very bad for him because he's very good at everything about his job until he walks up those stairs. Right, right. <laughs> like he's very good at everything about his job. He's good at sniffing out the the false leads. He's good at goading the witnesses. He's good at everything about his job until he realizes, like, hmm, foul play might have been afoot here. Maybe I shouldn't just wander up some strange uh, person's stairs right. in this house. Although his scene, his death scene, I think is very effective. I think is I think his his basic death scene when she comes charging out of the sure. out of the uh, room is uh, is really creepy and really effective and I love it very very much. All right. All right. You want me to uh you want me to dive into the theme that I had cuz I know we're already kind of going long but uh but this shouldn't take too terrible much. So I've mentioned before kind of in passing that to me, arguably my favorite scene in the film, even though there's iconic scenes like Arbogast's death, the shower scene, of course, the, her driving in the car, uh, the, the shot of Norman out at the swamp, like so many iconic things. But my favorite scene in the movie is the conversation that Norman Bates has with Marion Crane in the office. And I want to read a little bit of what they say to each other, um, and then they'll just dive right into my theme. So Norman and Marion are in the office, and they're talking with each other. He's sort of asking her where she's going. And then she says, why do you ask? And he says, no reason. No one really runs away from anything. It's like a private trap that holds us in like a prison. And he says, you know what I think? I think we're all in our private traps clamped in them and none of us can ever get out we scratch and we claw but only at the air only at each other and for all of it we never budge an inch and then she says almost in passing she says sometimes we deliberately step into those traps and then he says a line that just chills me he says i was born into mine i don't mind it anymore and wow. he's lying, of yeah. course. He later he later says, like, no, I do mind it, but I say I don't. But I lo- that he says, I was born into my private trap. I don't mind it anymore. And to me, there's so many things thematically that could be dissected and parsed and have been dissected and parsed out about this film. But what I latched onto, specifically this viewing for this conversation, happy 100 episodes, everybody, Woo-hoo! was th- was this idea of private traps. These notions of... You know, the film is called Psycho. Um, He has a schism. Norman Bates has a schism in his psyche wherein 
it's like he shares psychological space with his mother and these personalities are constantly competing with one another and we call that psychotic but it really made me reflect as I'm watching him talk about these private traps and at the same time he himself is harboring tremendous secrets deadly secrets he's harboring the fact that his mother has has been buried and he dug her up and he's hiding her in his home Marion Crane also is hiding the fact that she stole $40,000. Like sure. they're they're having this conversation about private traps and secrets and everything and neither one of them realizes the extent to which the other person is hiding and it made me reflect on the fact that we, you know, Nathan, you and I have been friends for 20 years and so we know so very much about each other, but how many of these interactions do we have with our coworkers, with people in the mall, with anything else and and no, they're not all hiding, they're not all psychos, but they're 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 hiding. They are caught in their own, if you want to call it, private traps. I don't want to pivot super heavy, super fast, but look at the climate we are in. Right, where we are, right. I mean, the hashtag Me Too movement. You're talking about all these sort of, you know, the conversations on the political scale and all the potential, you know, infractions on that end from everybody, Republicans, Democrats, Congress, judges, everything, like all these infractions. And um, you, you look at, uh, I'm not even going to get started on the Catholic Church. All of these Ugh, private, these yeah, these private traps, these secret worlds. We would point at people like a Norman Bates and like the psycho, the crazy. But it really stood out to me his line here, where he's he says at first he's like, I think we're all in our private traps, clamped in them. None of us can ever get out, but. Dang it, hear this line from Psycho. He says, we scratch and we claw, but only at the air. And then he says, only at each other. We scratch and claw, but only at each other. And I'm thinking about all of these secrets and lies that people hide, that people shelter, that people harbor within themselves. And what's worse about it is that then he normalizes it. She says... Very poignantly, sometimes we step into them, certainly thinking of her own situation in that moment, how she stepped into this private trap by stealing this $40,000. Sometimes we deliberately step into those traps. And he says, I was born into mine. I don't mind it anymore. And to me, that's the normalization of a thing that should not be, of a secret private trap, this thing that should not be, that he basically, you know, has resigned over however much time and what's creepy about his situation as the psychologist at the end of the film spends you know 10 minutes parsing out is he's like no he's like he was he was only ever half norman but he was sometimes only mother you know he was never all norman but he was frequently only mother and it is trippy to me how people will harbor tremendous i mean like god take your pick point your finger at hollywood point your finger at the church point your finger at the the political climate point your finger at the corporate world point your finger at any sort of major industry point your finger at individuals or whatever like man all all of this potential i'm going to call it potential of people hiding tremendously heinous things and hideous heinous things and the line that the psychologist says where it's like they're never only norman but sometimes they are just this 
thing. Ugh. Sometimes, sometimes they are just that appetite. It is the very, it is, it is almost the literal idea of losing yourself right. to this thing. And, uh, and so like I have, I have other things that may come up about it, but that's, I mean, that's my theme here. It, there it is. I present it to you for your thoughts, responses, and reflections, but that's, yeah, that's what this spoke to me about these, these private traps, these secret private worlds and how we are not ever all ourselves because of them. And go, uh, <laughs> I think that cause that, cause I, I did click with that that line you referenced the private traps we claw we scratch only at the air and sometimes at each other and this i don't i don't mean this to sound as pithy as it may come out but there's part of me sometimes that that worries uh as someone who does not get this right myself most of the time but like if we're going to bridge this conversation over into one about faith and faithfulness there's part of me that worries that our private traps, uh, Don Chaffer of Waterdeep has a song called everybody has their secret lives. Um, same idea. And I think I just worry sometimes that part of that, uh, is, is because we, we prop Jesus up as an icon and not as a friend. Mm. and and because then it becomes and i'm speaking to the church specifically like because then it becomes just easy you know you talk about the catholic church and 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 i really you know the 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 ramifications of that are are far 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 beyond the reach of mine and yours ability to wrestle down um but you know i i I guess there's this way in which somehow years ago i i know the depths of grief i am capable of causing and so my capacity for grace is so very vast when people mm-hmm. get it wrong, mm-hmm. you know, like, like I think, I think it's such a dangerous and precarious position we put ourselves in when we become finger waggers at those caught in their private traps. Right. Right. So it's kind of, it's, I don't know. It's kind of a, a, a there's you know, like the movie, there's multiple layers to this, but as you were talking, I think what just came to me was like, if, okay, let's, let's let's tiptoe up to the catholic thing a little bit if only to say so much of catholic iconography is just that right like Mm. it's 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 icon it's dogma it's tradition it's it's symbol right right more often and this is me speaking generalized I'm, I'm, i'm not indicting anything i'm simply speaking generally here but in my perception of of catholic tradition it's a lot more symbol than friendship yeah then relationship makes sense i I don't know if it does but i think because there's a way you can hear that line you know we get caught in our private traps we scratch and claw at the air at each other like it oh my gosh what a hopeless picture yeah and this is the hundredth episode party time and i'll get a little bit more into this in the after party but it is my hope and desire and prayer for anyone who's listening to this that you know, to be quite frank on this, that, that, that they would have someone as close to them as you and I are to each other, this capacity to just, Mm. because, because, you know, you referenced 20 years on and, and, you know, like it's still in that 20 years of deep kindred relationship, it is still challenging sometimes to own one's faults and failures and foibles. Right. You know, of of course, even, 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 and in that safety. Right. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, That's hard. And I just think there's such a way we run a deep and terrible risk of viewing elements of our faith as pure icons and not as tactile elemental sources of life and goodness and, 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 and friendship. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, no, it does. It will. We relegate um, a call to mind what Flannery O'Connor wrote about communion. Uh, Flannery O'Connor is often quoted in the conversation about religious iconography. She herself was a Catholic and she said of the, of communion when people would talk about, you know, is, is it, really the body and blood of Christ or is it merely a symbol and her quote this is Flannery O'Connor's quote she said if it is merely a symbol then to hell with it hmm. yeah. and basically implying like it, it, it has to mean more than that it has to mean more than that to you sure it has to mean more than that in your life it has to mean more than just lip service it has to mean more than just a symbol a token right for it to do anything for you, for it to be anything in you, if for it to be alive, um, it has to mean more than that. And I think there is a tremendous amount of symbolism, but I'll call it tokenism, I- iconism, if that's not, that's not really a word, but iconography. iconography that, right. Yeah, iconography that we basically bring to... At the season that we're talking right now, football season is starting back. And is it? There's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, there's a lot of conversation revolving oh, around, right, right, right. You know, yep. yeah, you know the the national anthem and and protests and 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 everything like that. And there was a real. I, I'm not going to dive into that subject. That's tangent. That's merely tangential and exemplary of what I'm talking about. There was somebody who went off, and I wouldn't even begin to be able to repeat what he was basically saying, but on a, uh, like one of those Fox and friends morning shows or something where he was basically saying like, Oh, you want to honor veterans? So, because you think this is dishonoring veterans and you want to honor veterans. How about you get involved and stop walking, stop stepping over them to go to your nice, fancy restaurant. How about you get involved with the VA? How about you get involved with the program? And that that was, that was his take on the issue. But again, it speaks to this notion of it is very, I will say this, and this is me speaking. It is super, super easy to embrace, prop up, and proselytize a symbol. Right. Wherein that symbol means nothing to your personal private world. In the same way that Norman himself can run a hotel and can carry on multiple conversations where he and and his mother that exists inside his head when and and you can tout whatever symbols you can tout the christian cross you can tout the american flag you can tout whatever symbol or preference you know lady liberty if you want you can hold up any symbol or reference point you want to if it really and i it's flannery o'connor's words but I would apply it anywhere. If it's merely a symbol, then to hell with it. Right. If it doesn't, right. if it doesn't mean something substantial to you, and if it does not have what you were talking about, about Christ being merely an icon and not a relationship, not a friendship, not an active part of your day-to-day life, if that, you know, if it is just this thing you do and pay lip service to, then it really holds very little to no bearing on you. And those are the times where you are half Norman. And right. then you go home and you are only mother, like in right. the language right. of the yeah. film. Yeah. yeah. And and there are there are way too many people in way too many places 
perfectly content to live their lives, live their public lives as half Norman and not ever taking into account, into ownership, the private secret times that they thought were hidden. I'm going to bring the scripture verse in in just a second. But those private secret times where they were they were only mother. And um, I'll say this, and then if you have a response, I'll gladly yield. The scripture verse that I had in mind was actually uh, from the words of, of Jesus. He was talking about the Pharisees, but in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, uh, Luke chapter 12 and verse 2, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Now, on one hand, that is terrifying. On one hand, that is absolutely terrifying. Like, okay, but, but again, we're living, in a, we're living in a climate where with social media and with the accessibility of things on the internet, like, like really nothing is secret anymore. I right. mean, it is very, right. very, very difficult to stay secret about anything. Your phone is freaking listening and giving you ads. Like, my phone any minute now is going to promote the film Psycho to me because we're sitting here talking <laughs> about Psycho. But but in, in complete seriousness, when, when Christ talks about this notion, what I hope it would compel me to and what I hope it would compel our listeners to is when he says, nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you've whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. That that should compel us to an integrated and holistic life. Right, right, Be, right. In, in the language of Psycho, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, be Norman. Be Norman. Don't be half Norman and then turn into only mother and wreak a path of destruction that then you not only are just constantly trying to clean up after, but constantly trying to hide, constantly trying to come to terms with because you've really lost the plot on where that even came from. Sure. And and that schism we could easily relegate to people who are, you know, oh, that's their problem. Well, that's that's them. If we're not mindful of our own secret, that's why mm-hmm. I love that fantasy sequence when she's sure, oh, sure. I love it so much. She's driving the car and she's playing out that fantasy in her head of all the things that they could be saying. Nathan, I, I don't have a pulpit in front of me. That is not intended to be the tone of my, my things here, but I am about to sort of get my preach on. If we are not mindful of what we allow our imaginations to go wild on, pretty soon there will be a very real sort of mother emergence that happens. And it is, psychologists have already said that for some sort of sensibilities that you imagine in your daydreams, in your fantasies, in your in your dream world, that the the physical effects on your body are sometimes equivalent to if you were actually experiencing those things. Mm. So if you are fantasizing about those things and it would normally produce endorphins, that is what it will do when you fantasize about them. And then there's sure. there's this, you know, sort of scale of diminishing returns where you have to, you know, that's where addiction comes in, particularly addiction, addiction to things like pornography or things like that. You have these diminishing returns that you have to keep escalating it right. till pretty soon, again, going back to the language of the film, till pretty soon, you are frequently only mother. Sure. And you have lost sent your sense of self, your sense of identity, your sense of place within the world, and uh, it's it's a real tragedy. It's a real, it's a real sick and sad thing. But if we ourselves don't curb at the pass the fantasy that we allow ourselves to indulge, then pretty soon it will get beyond us. Those those private things will go beyond our reach and beyond our control. Well, and. 
and maybe as a you know or maybe my final thought at least or, or final string of thoughts and you can tie a bow on it if you want but like i think it's fascinating you know in this conversation and and there are so many moments and even recently i don't know about a week ago there was some other sort of congressperson you know at a state level that who of course like you can't script this stuff anymore <laughs> you cannot right right script it whereas like so and so who is the champion of faith and values and family people and families and the familyest of families is secretly sleeping with five women and three dudes and you know like what it's like mm. of course you know okay whatever you know next i mean like it just right, feels right. that way and i'm not at all trying to be glib whatsoever it's it is heart rending but i think there's this weird cyclical disdain episode 100 um <laughs> that that this real this weird cyclical thing that happens we don't it's funny you this, here here i'm gonna make a, a a psycho note here i was born with my trap but i used uh, now i'm used to it what's the line he said i was born into mine i don't mind it anymore i think what's fascinating about that and i'm gonna I, this is my take we're not born into our traps that we that that life and culture and uh, uh, negative influences create in us. I think there's this weird and disturbing and distressing way and disheartening way that things don't just you're not just um, I think in a vacuum, you aren't just going to become an abuser, right? Of whatever. Right. Like, right. 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 You, uh, uh, the natural trajectory of the healthy human spirit is not to abuse, I think. Um, you know, I, I'm not even interested in the, the theological ramifications of the potential inherent in that statement. No, I I'm simply saying, right. like, I think that's not the, the bent that will end up happening. It is the denting and the influences of external factors that tend to shape us into these sorts of trajectories. But the point I'm simply trying to make is we have utterly lost the capacity if we ever had it, which is perhaps a reason for a, the salvific work of the Christ. Um, if we ever had it, we have definitely lost the ability to just to have a personal reckoning. Right. Right. Like, right. Yes. like this yes. way in which and this is what I mean by like because we're taught we're culturally conditioned in the church, especially. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to just pour you know throw the church on the fire here it's everywhere it is literally everywhere in our culture right now um where we are conditioned to prop up every every safe shield fencing off those private traps right right just because because well <laughs> you know I, I i know how to conduct myself in the world and no one's going to find it about such and such well mm. maybe may, maybe that's true it's doubtful, but maybe that's true. Nonetheless, you are still stuck in that trap. It still has a hold on you. You are clawing at the air. You're going to claw at someone else. Yes. And I just think this is what is so disheartening to me about. I am such I am such a believer in the devastating power of and yet utter and absolute redemptive potential inherent through the great and good work of Christ of the human spirit right right but we've got to it it requires deference and openness and grace and yeah. gratitude and forgiveness 
and mm-hmm. repentance and political word here resistance you know it requires such exhausting occasionally work to main to and maybe that's wrong it requires great rest it requires great we 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 in the flannery o'connor analogy here or, or language here to hell with the icons we're at episode 100 new chapter in the fear of god to hell with the icons because the icons will not save you mm, mm-hmm. what will save you is a deep nestled relationship with the great comforter yeah who does not wish your grievances and private traps to be known for the world out of a punitive measure but out of a recognition that hey these things aren't good right healthy beautiful or, or, or worthwhile or faithful. Like let's focus on those things that fit that column, rest in me, take comfort in me so that you can then share that rest and comfort with others. Yes. Yes. Stop clawing and scratching and striving, right? See striving. That's it. That's, that is what that means. Yes. Yes. Because there is no value to the cross around your neck if you're not willing to die to yourself. And there is no value to to championing a scripture, uh, the the book, the Bible, if you're not going to take certain elements of it seriously. There's no there's no value to it. Like when you when when we prop up these things, it is not. And I don't think you're saying I'm certainly not saying that the symbols themselves are worthless. No, no, they are. They are worthless if they stop at symbols like right. if it's if it if it is merely a surrogate representative of a thing right then it is dead and cold and and departed and in in biblical language paint ichabod over the door because the glory's gone right. from that but when there is a vibrant relational truth that fuels those things then they are not symbols they're they're sacraments they are mm. they are sacred things and Come sacred on. places and that's where we really need to to enter into it does no good and i get so frustrated with the blustering that we should hail a thing when we care nothing about what that thing is intended right. to produce in right. our lives right if we care nothing about what the work Christ did in the world is supposed to do and, and be to us as an example of how we should be in the world, if we care nothing for that, then what good is it? to call? He said himself, I think that's what it meant, and I don't have the scripture in front of me, but I think, I think that's at least part of what he meant when he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Right. Why do you call me this and then don't do what I command? You know, it wasn't that he was building some works-based theology. It is this idea of like, yeah, you'd love to just say you're part of the club and then not do anything right, that we're trying right, to produce right, in the world. You'd love right. to just say you're a part of this thing, but not actually be part of it. Right. Because if you can get the, it's what we talked about with American Psycho, about this artifice thing. If you can get the badge, if you can hold the ticket, if you can wear the shirt, if you can do whatever that is, if you can, I've, I'm standing on this side, I'm standing on that side. It's what a lot of the social media thing is. It's like, I stand here. Here, I stand this. This is this is my stand. And, and some of the people who post that may substantiate it by active work in their lives. I'm not saying that it's purely artifice, but there's a very big difference between like I'm just going to take the social media stand and I'm actually going to do everything that I can within my means, within my resources to actively do that work. That's right. very, very different. And I think 
to, you know, in, with a heart towards winding down. We knew this episode was going to be long. We're, I'm going to steer the plane down towards the tarmac. Is is that we must be mindful of the places in our own life where there are mothers. And I'm using psycho language, not, you know, maternal, you know, we love our mothers. You know, boy's best friend is his mother. So, like, you know, <laughs> so, but, you know, in, in the symbol that we've been scratching at where there, there are schisms hiding within you where the, the vicious and nasty personality threatens to take over and is vying constantly for dominance over who you are and how you think and your spirit and how you are in the world. And you have got to crucify that thing. You have got to kill that thing. You have got to rid yourself of this compartmentalized life. You've got to rid yourself of this. I'm this guy on Sunday. I'm this guy on Monday. I'm this guy when I come home from work every other day. It's it's You've got to rid yourself of those kind of compartmentalizations and it isn't exclusively in the world of the church or in the world of religious faith it's everywhere these compartmentalized these segmented lives have got that fracture has got to repair and if we aren't attentive to where our minds and our hearts and our spirits are framed and where they're bent and how we're living our lives if we're not attentive to those things then pretty soon again in the language of psycho the the mothers are going to take over like the, the, the schism is going to be all consuming and you'll lose yourself completely. And, uh, well, and if I, a, if I can throw yeah. one thought there, you know, like in, in an effort to, um, set against the schism, the violence of, of the presented in the film and say, you know, to your comment a minute ago about like being able to rid ourselves of these things. Like, I think, I do think. For me personally, I can't stress enough to a listener, to a peer struggling. There is great grace for that process, yes. for that process. There is. Yes. We, Immeasurably. I, I, I am not a believer in, in a sort of violent image of God as he interacts with us or as he is at all in nature. But that's a whole sort of personal thing here. What I am a great believer in is that there is grace and there is tenderness and there is gentleness as you, as you may feel violently arrested by your own using psycho language, mother being put to rest and being put to death and being taken out of the fruit cellar and put in the ground. Like there may feel a sense of violence to that, but there's a great grace and tenderness and gentleness and love and comfort present for you in that. Um, absolutely. Anyway, absolutely. Anyway, well, and oh gosh, and like I, it only just came to me. I had made a few comments a second ago about how if it is merely a symbol, it is a dead, tokened thing. Uh-huh. I, 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 I don't know why I didn't bring it up. Norman is keeping his mother's corpse right. in the in the house. He's got it. It is dead. It is lifeless. It is decaying in front of him, and he is having conversations with it. Right. He is he is interacting with it. It is. It is in his fractured mind an active part of his life, and there are so many people in so many ways doing such similar things with dead, gone things, um, and yeah. Uh, All right. There it um, is. It's it's a poor substitute for a lover, but it's what we got, you know? <laughs> um, so, Reed, it is time. Uh, I don't even know how many episodes David S. Pumpkins has been with us, but you guys are here and you know what he's for. Um, so we rank all these movies on style, scares, and substance. 
Um, I will lead with Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. On a style level, I am actually going to lean on, um, I think tradition would compel me or, or historicity and importance would compel me to a five. I think personally, I'm going to lean on a four. Uh, I'll right. give it, I'll give it a four and a half. I'm gonna give it a four and a half because I do think stylistically, um, there's a whole lot to like, even with the few things I mentioned. Certainly. Well, uh, I'm, I'm going to be as brief as possible. It's a five. Yep. Like, it's going to no come surprise. to no surprise. Yes. It's a five for me. I love this film. Yeah. And what about, uh, uh, scares for you, Reed? So my six year old self is going to give this a five and that's where I'm going to land with it. Yes. I don't watch it. I don't watch it anymore for the scare factor. Like it does not still creep me out. It just more fascinates me and the themes sort of jump out to me more. Um, but my six year old self was scared to death. And so that my six year old self is going to give it a five for scares. I'll split the difference with your little guy and go with a three on scares. Um, I think on substance for me, um, I think there's a lot going on here. I mean, I think like vertigo, like rope, um, there's a good bit of layers happening here. Um, I'm going to land at a four on substance. All right. And uh, listeners are going to be not shocked at all. I'm going to give it a five for substance. Uh, if you want to know why, then just go back and you just rewind your little pod and listen to the episode again, because I give it a five uh, for, for substance. And that means that we give Psycho... Oh, I'm so pleased. I'm so happy. <laughs> we give Psycho a 9 out of 10. Wow. David S. Pumpkins. That's legit. That a, that's a reason that's it's, a that's a reason it's number 100. That's right. Read that's right. two years of the Fear two of God years. podcast. Two years of exploring. Definitely not explaining, because that's, <laughs> that's not what we're here for. Um, so, guys, this has been The Party. This has been episode 100. Join us next week for the after party. Where, you know, we usually give you late of late, especially because we're looking out for you. We give you a heads up of the movies to watch. There is actually not a movie to watch for next week. However, what you are charged with doing is listening to every single episode of the fear of God in prep <laughs> for episode, episode 101. We will be doing a retrospective episode. Uh, many of you have graciously, uh, uh, responded to some inquiries that we've made, um, you know, on the social media to you. We're going to be using a lot of that, pulling from a lot of that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Read from, 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 uh, me to you, 20 years of friendship, two years of podcasting. Thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this fun journey uh even with things like reanimator and may and raw occasionally um you gotta go you gotta go through those uh to get to the psychos to get to the strangers and 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 others in its category i'll other other folks you'd like to shout out and thank ned ned thank you for listening you know you're the man you're the man uh, lest it lest it go unsaid, and I, I don't reference her nearly as much as I should. Uh, my long suffering wife, who gives me the space and time to do this. Amen. Um, thank you so much to to both of our wives, but especially to mine. I love you, honey. Thank you so much well, for. I mean, uh, you can. I can, you can especially, I can especially to mine. Well, know, why don't you do like, that? Why don't you do okay. that then, Nathan? Thank you, you Tracy. <laughs> I don't know that she'll actually listen to this, but thank you, Tracy. <laughs> I watch a lot of movies that you don't partake in, and I carve out a lot of time <laughs> um, to record these episodes. Um, and, uh, and, of course, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation, and we have to make a huge, huge thank you uh, to listeners, to you. Yes. Nathan, always you. Thank you very, very much uh, for staying with us. Thank you for tolerating us. Thank you for tolerating the length of this episode. 
episode and thank you for sticking around for a hundred and here's to a hundred more. We really appreciate you. And Nathan, yep. uh, let's, let's, let's make it to the after party. Let's, yeah, let's go. Let's go. We're let's going to hop ahead. in the limousine and we're going to ride yeah. on over to the hotel, drive. The, the Bates motel. That is Oh my Whoa. Gosh. <laughs> check in, relax, take a shower. Yeah. There's 12 rooms available. <laughs> we'll take all Twelve? of them. All right, guys, we'll all see right. you next week for episode 101 of the fear of God podcast. The Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. To continue this conversation, you can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God. You can visit us on Facebook to comment on one of our posts or post there yourself. You can follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey. You can follow Nathan on Twitter at The Nathan Rouse. Visit MoreThanOneLesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com, all one word, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com and last but not least if you listen to us through itunes we would greatly appreciate a rating or review thank you for listening we'll see you next week